Thank you. Wow. Um, whoo, I'm still holding all of the things that we are carrying as a community from all that was shared and carrying that into our time together as I share with you all. Um, it is so good to see you and to be seen by you. Um, I'm really grateful to Pastors Erina and Michael for inviting me and giving me a reason to get fully dressed this morning. I'm even wearing my like preaching heels. Um, and <laughs> it's just a gift to be able to commune with you all. Um, over these past months, those of us who are regular attenders and a part of the church, these past months that have felt like years in the wilderness, um, and also folks who have joined with us, um, many people who I love, members of my family, um, many friends, we're holding a lot. Um, we've been through a lot together, but we are here and we are here together. And I wanna name that we are holding all those things that we just shared together in our bodies. Those things are, are things we're carrying in our bodies, all of the loss, the grief, the things that we're carrying, as well as the praises, right? But we can't uh, take lightly, actually my shirt says, you good fam, and it says mental health matters because this is stuff we're carrying in our bodies and our very beings. And so we're gonna start there, actually. Um, I'm going to begin by reading a quote from a book that has become a companion of mine in this journey. It's called My Grandmother's Hands. It's by Resma Menicum. And some of you have maybe read it already or heard of the work. Um, and the quote, as you see, is on the slide. But I also welcome you, if you are able, to listen and listen deeply as I read his words and allow them to wash over us this morning. Our bodies have a form of knowledge that is different from our cognitive brains. This knowledge is typically experienced as a felt sense of constriction and expansion, pain or ease, energy or numbness. Often this knowledge is stored in our bodies as wordless stories about what is safe and what is dangerous. The body is where we fear, hope, and react, where we constrict and release, where we reflexively fight, flee, or freeze. New advances in psychobiology, I cut one line, new advances in psychobiology reveal that our deepest emotions, love, fear, anger, dread, grief, sorrow, disgust, and hope involve the activation of our bodily structures. These structures, a complex system of nerves, connect the brainstem, pharynx, heart, lung, stomach, gut, and spine. Neuroscientists call this system the wandering nerve or our vagus nerve, or more apt name might be our soul nerve. The soul nerve is connected directly to a part of our brain that doesn't use cognition or reasoning as its primary tool for navigating the world. Our soul nerve also helps mediate between our body's activating energy and resting energy. This part of our brain is similar to, it reminds us of our kinship with other creatures, the brains of lizards, birds, and lower mammals. Our lizard brain only understands survival and protection. At any given moment, it can issue one of a handful of survival commands, rest, fight, flee, or freeze. 
These are the only commands it knows and the only choices it is able to make. If a lot of those words went over your head or you're like, I don't read that stuff, most simply is that often when we're engaged in just living day to day, our bodies may react even before we can cognitively react with reasoning. You can take the slide down. We have been living in almost a constant state of chaos lately. So as your body responds, practice curiosity and grace toward yourself and others, as many of us may be responding from our soul nerve. With this in mind, I would like to read for us again our passage for today. And I want to invite you to settle yourself in to your body as much as you are able to do so. I know many of us have little ones and tiny humans running around or you're multitasking in a number of ways and that's of course okay. Even in the midst of your little bits of chaos and multitasking, I invite all of us to listen to the passage, not only with our minds, but also with our bodies. If you have the capacity I would like for you to imagine yourself into the scene, into the synagogue in Capernaum. Maybe you are a part of the ground on which the members of the synagogue sat, kneeled and stood, or maybe you're the walls. Maybe you are one of the disciples of Jesus who literally just started following this dude, the like passage before, just agreed to join him on this journey and you're maybe wondering what the heck you got yourself into as all of this unfolds. Might you dare to imagine yourself as Jesus, feeling confident in the teaching you are bringing but perhaps nervous because these people don't know you from Adam, pun intended, and stuff is already hitting the fan. Maybe you imagine you are someone in the congregation the custom was that men and women would sit separately from one another. So if you identify as a woman, perhaps imagine yourself being seated in the back of the gathering or perhaps in a balcony section, or maybe in this passage, you are the man in whom the evil spirit is dwelling who is delivered. There's a hall or lobby area that separates the main synagogue sanctuary from the street so that the thoughts and cares of the outer world would be shed before entering the holiness of the inner sanctuary. Find yourself in this holy, sacred place with me as I read once more. Jesus and his followers went into Capernaum. Immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and started teaching. The people were amazed by his teaching, for he was teaching them with authority, not like the legal experts. Suddenly, there in the synagogue, a person with an evil spirit screamed, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Silence. Jesus said, speaking harshly to the demon. Come out of him, the unclean spirit shook him and screamed, then it came out. Everyone was shaken and questioned among themselves, what's this, a new teaching with authority? He even commands unclean spirits and they obey him. Right away, 
the news about him spread throughout the entire region of Galilee. Who were you in this space, in this passage? Who did you imagine yourself to be if you were able to do so? And what did you feel? How might your soul nerve have responded in this moment? There are many people present here and I imagine each of them experienced this very uniquely, that they had different responses to what was happening among them and around them. For some, there were strong intellectual responses to Jesus's surprising and refreshing authority. For others, their bodies may have responded to Jesus preaching a truth that had they had not heard from any of the other teachers. Perhaps their bodies felt relief I know there are times when people have said things to me with such authority that I just start crying and I don't know why I'm crying. Or maybe some of them felt confusion or intrigue and then someone begins to scream and it's very possible that having an unclean spirit in their presence wasn't a novel occurrence, but that doesn't change how one's body might have reacted in the moment. There may have been some people in the gathering who carry past traumas in their body and so the sudden screaming caused a visceral response in them. The text doesn't reveal to us this detail, but it was a room full of humans, so I imagine their responses varied. But the text does tell us that Jesus spoke harshly to the demon, which I imagine came through in his body language alongside his words, right? The text does tell us that the man who had an evil spirit began to scream. Imagine that, you're just sitting there and do start screaming. What are you supposed to feel or believe? This man's body was captive to a demon and when Jesus calls the demon out of the man, the man's body once again screams and convulses and shakes as he is being freed from the alienation from his own body caused by the wicked spirit. About four years ago, I was sitting in a black affinity group gathering. It was all the black people in our church for the most part at my former church in Chicago. We were discussing what it was like to be black in the United States and black in our church community. In full confession, I was almost completely uninterested in this conversation. <laughs> for most of the gathering. And I was redlining and questioning some of the members who were there and as they shared, until this young woman who seemed to be the same age as me spoke up. I knew who she was, but I didn't really know her at the time. She was actually the leader of our children's ministry. And she spoke up and shared in some words, I'm paraphrasing, the US is scary. I grew up in the Middle East and in Asia, and I know what it's like to face demons and evil spirits head on. I've seen plenty of exorcisms. Those things are real and visible there, but here you can't even see what you're fighting. The demons here look like systemic racism and patriarchy, and that makes them so much harder to fight. I decided in that moment first that we were gonna be friends and we are, she's actually on here right now. <laughs> Shout out to Shireen. Um, but also there was a piercing truth in what she shared about the wickedness that exists among us that is invisible to us. And what I believe is being revealed to us in this passage today is that the surprise is not that evil was among them. 
near them, within them. Rather, it is the effect of the authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth in the face of wickedness. The news that spread throughout the entire region of Galilee wasn't about there being an evil spirit among them in the synagogue. This was less surprising. The news was about this new teacher who taught with authority they had never seen before, an authority that made even an unclean spirit who stood against him obey. At this place in the history in which we are living, we can identify that people are captive to unclean spirits, to wickedness, to evil, to untruth. We are people. Evil is among us and in us. But the good news is what happens when Jesus is among us. As I have read this passage over and over and read and listened to it with my body, asking this question of what happens when Jesus is among us, I have landed on two things that I want us to sit with. Now, usually I like to draw the truth about Jesus, that Jesus heals and Jesus delivers. And those things are of course, very true. Even in the very next passage in Mark, after this one, Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. So the healing does come, but the healing does not come before the chaos and conflict. When Jesus is among us, there is chaos and conflict. This is not to say Jesus is always the perpetrator of chaos and conflict, or that chaos and conflict are ordained by God. No, that's not what I'm saying. But that Jesus is the type of person who wherever he goes, drama kind of seems to follow this brother. Like, there are even times in scripture when Jesus directly says that he has come to bring division. And I think we, including me, tend to skate over these words from Jesus because conflict is uncomfortable. When we even talk about conflict, many of us feel dissonance mentally, emotionally, and physically. But it cannot be denied that in the scene we just imagined ourselves into, there is chaos and there is conflict. And this synagogue probably would have been a business as usual Sabbath if Jesus was not taking his turn teaching and teaching with an authority that was invigorating for those present. The people in the synagogue probably expected to have a normal Sabbath day, just as all of us expected to have just one normal Wednesday in January. Yet all of us experienced disruption. What and who is antithetical to Jesus will always reveal itself for themselves when Jesus is among us. In this passage, the unclean spirit was cast out, not the man himself. The spirit represents the forces against God. No one was even checking for this demon. Jesus hadn't even said that to him yet. Why did he expose himself? What was Jesus teaching that caused him to writhe and to scream? Remember, that the unclean spirit was dwelling within this man who was among them in the synagogue. Perhaps totally unperceivable to them, we, some of us, who have been told that we are the bringers of division, the troublemakers, those of us that have been told that we do not belong because of perceivable threats that we bring to the church in our bodies, our identities, our questions, our ideologies, we who have been taught to 
flee from or to cast out, who many exclusive and narrow interpretations of scripture and of God have deemed us unclean or filled with unclean spirits. We are not the culprits to be aware of in this text. It is perhaps the man who was a part of the synagogue all along who was filled with the unclean spirit. This man who perhaps under the direction of the unclear spirit, unclean spirit, voted and decided on the temple policies at the synagogue or who influenced the community to believe this way or that. Perhaps he is the one who is perceived as the most normal member of the synagogue. Someone's regular old uncle or auntie who was all the while influencing the shape of the community simply by being a part of it. How insidious was this unclean spirit prior to Jesus's arrival? The wickedness was among the people of God as it is among us, not some outside force of the culture. But when Jesus was among them preaching the truth of love, of healing, of mercy and justice with authority, the unclean spirit could not stay hidden in their crowd, in their systems, in their norms, in their business as usual. I imagine that the scribes and teachers before Jesus would teach what was and what is, but Jesus teaches what was, what is, and what can and will be. Jesus has sight of that. When Jesus is among us, truth cannot hide. And we so desperately need truth right now. Truth has been evaded and distorted and obfuscated for so long in this country that we find ourselves unhinged and lacking the very vulnerable human, the very communal need of rooting ourselves in what is real and what is true. As a professor of mine said recently, our ability to connect to reality is tied to whether or not we can even live peaceably together. Now, the reason the Bay Area is so dear to me, even though I do not currently live there, is because I spent the summer of 2016 living in Oakland as a part of one of the closest images to beloved community I have ever experienced. And actually it brings me just such warmth because a, a number of people on the call today are, um, were a part of that community. Um, and I will say, and they will agree with me that there was lots of chaos and there was lots of conflict in our 2016 Jesus Justice and Poverty Institute, which was an InterVarsity summer justice program that was directed by the one and only Yusha and Tereño Show, who shaped me a lot as a minister. And as a community, we journeyed through learning about a focused social issue each week, like maybe food and environmental justice, education, sexual violence and sex trafficking and constructions of toxic masculinity, or mass incarceration. Each week, we participated in a spiritual practice together when we would sit in a circle around a big wooden cross and we would pray and discern and share together what are the lies that uphold the system of injustice. For example, for mass incarceration, we might identify the lie that Black is synonymous to criminal. Someone would write down the lie on a piece of paper, speak it out loud and rebuke the lie, then nail the lie to the cross and then replace that lie with a truth that we all, that they would speak out loud to the whole community. 
We would respond in forms of community agreement and then we would invite folks in our community who have been impacted and harmed by this lie to come to the center if they wanted to and if they felt comfortable to. And we would pray truth into them with the authority of Jesus Christ among us. I remember as we would practice this together, we would see release and shift not only in students and parts of our community's mindset, staff also, but quite visibly, we would see relief and shift in our bodies. Lies wreak havoc on our bodies and truth is a healing balm and medicine, though we may not always like the taste of it, right? When Jesus is among us, lies and the perpetrator of lies must be toppled, rebuked, and replaced with the truth. So perhaps the situation we are beholding in this passage was not as absurd as it feels to us. When Jesus is among us, what is unseen becomes apparent. The invisible is made visible. The silence are given voice. The alienated and cast out find belonging. What is unsaid is said. Sometimes dead things even come back to living. Oh Lord, how we need that now. Chaos and conflict will come because they are already among us, just as the evil spirit was already there in the man in the synagogue. We cannot perceive full truth on our own because we exist in our own realities shaped by our news sources, stories, and histories. Through the refreshing and honest authority of Jesus, might our divided realities be shattered and might we have new sight to see what is real together. Is it possible that all the chaos and the conflict we have seen in the last seven years are signs to us that Jesus is among us, making what was invisible visible, that in no way diminishes the loss? It is vulnerable to seek to live in truth that Jesus brings. Our delusions are often much more comforting, amen? But might there be freedom and clarity in chaos? Might we learn to not fear conflict because when conflict is transformed, it often treads the pathway for us to forge a new way together. The incarnation of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Jesus are all conflictual events. We see them as good news now and the fulfillment of God's promises, but that wasn't understood as the history unfolded. The organizer in me experiences these events, the birth, life, death, and resurrection, as a beautiful direct action orchestrated by God and perpetrated by the spirit to agitate and transform humanity and the cosmos. Yes, those of us who identify as the people of God pray often for a peace that surpasses understanding. And often when that peace comes, it comes maybe as an existential peace, but not necessarily as a circumstantial peace. I've come to believe that on this side of living, chaos often prevails. But I still believe evil will not. In the midst of all our collective chaos, continued loss of lives to the COVID-19 virus, and the eyes of January 2021, insurrection, impeachment, inauguration, and investment debacle, could it be that the chaos we are experiencing is not a sign of an absent God? But can we see Jesus revealing 
himself among us and revealing among us also the unclean spirits, the powers and principalities that have always been present and always been at work around but are no longer able to hide. They are showing themselves because Jesus is a threat. Jesus means their destruction. And as they show themselves, Jesus with authority is saying that they must come out of us. If the incarnation of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the liberating work of God in the world, I believe it's true to say that there has never ever been liberation in the history of humanity without conflict, without destruction. And destruction in itself is not antithetical to God's shalom. At times, destruction is a tool that God utilizes to birth shalom and peace. Might the exorcism of white supremacy and anti-Blackness, of exploitative capitalism that violates people and the land, of patriarchy, might these visible exorcisms demonstrate to us that God is not far away, but that God is near. Maybe that is what the authors of Mark are trying to show us in this passage so early in Jesus's story and also in our story. May it be so. Amen and Asheh.